You're listening to a CFCC audio podcast. For news and service times, visit www.cfccnet.org. Welcome. Good morning to Sci- Welcome to Cypher Christian Church. It's so good to see you guys this morning. You know, we gather um, once a week to um, be with friends, gather, connect. And I'm going to share with you just a little bit some of the life group things we have going on. We are very intentional about um, ways to connect at Cypher Christian Church. And there are a lot of really great um, life groups going on for that opportunity. But we'll get to that in just a little while. If you are a guest this morning, we extend a special welcome to you. There's a connection card in the back of the pew. If you would take a few minutes, fill that out, put it in the offering basket, or take it back to the um, welcome desk in the foyer where our welcome team is there and would love to chat with you, tell you more about our church, and they have also a gift for you. It's actually a really great gift, so you'll wanna go talk to them. Do you wanna share a couple of things that are going on? Um, First and foremost, October is Pastor Appreciation Month. And this is a time that is a special focus to let our pastors know how much they mean to us. And a couple of things that we would like your participation in is um, one, there's a prayer card in the pew. If you will reach in there and pull that card out, it looks like a bookmark. Take a few minutes and pull that out. That prayer card is for you to take home. And we ask that you join us in prayer for our partners. It's really just a guide to um, walk us through prayer for our partners. It's something sometimes we forget to do because you know, we pray for lots of other things, but praying for our pastors are, is, is important and that gives us a nice guide to use. The other thing we would love your participation in is there is also a blank card in the back of the pew and we ask that you just take a few moments and write out a card to one of the pastors or all the pastors and let them know what they mean to you and your family or just a note of thanks or appreciation. And there's baskets in the back of, there's a table back here and there's one back here where you can drop that in. If you wanna take it home and fill it out and bring it back next week, just a really um, simple way to say, we appreciate you, we wanna encourage you, and um, we're just glad that you're leading us. It's also um, elder nomination time. In your bulletin, there is a form, and we ask that you read through that, see what the criteria is for an elder. If there's someone that you think fits that criteria, we ask that you approach them first and ask them, would you be interested in being an elder? If they are, then put their name on the form and nominate them. And there's a box in the back of the church for that form as well. Um, Life groups. Today is the last day to sign up for life groups. Um, You can do that on our app. You can do it on the website. Um, Like I said earlier, lots of great groups to get plugged into. And this is where you'll meet people. This is where you'll build relationships and get connected. I strongly encourage you to do that because I've done it. I know many of you are involved in life groups and it's life-changing. It really is. This is where you really get to know people and it's, it's something you will really value and appreciate doing. Um, Fall Festival is in your bulletin, and that is on October 27th, and just lots of opportunities there also to get plugged in. You know, sometimes we think, oh, that's a volunteer opportunity, but what you'll find in volunteering is that's also where you meet people and build relationships. So it's something that you'll find, I believe, very, very rewarding. The last thing I want to share with you is um, we are doing the Brodigam delivery this week, and... First of all, I wanna thank you if you were part of that because 
you guys were overwhelmingly giving and generous in this endeavor. And the teachers and the staff will be so appreciative of that. So thank you for that. If you wanna be part of the delivery, the time and dates are in your bulletin. So please come and be part of that. And again, thank you. And if you'll join us um, for worship. As we move into our offering time here, I'd like to just read to you out of the book of Luke, the parable of the prodigal. It says this in Luke 15, a man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want a share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, the son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land, and there he wasted all of his money in wild living. And about the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. And the young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants had food enough to spare, and here I am, dying of hunger. I'll go home to my father. That's what I'll do. I'll go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. And so he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. And filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. And his son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to the servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf we've been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast for the son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he's found. And so the party began. We've been given so much. We've been given so much from the father and often we squander it and we make bad choices and decisions. But the Father's waiting at home for us with a feast, ready for a party. Let's just go to the Lord here today in thanksgiving as we give and just remember his grace and his goodness in his life and how he provides for us, how he cares for us, not only in the material possessions that we have and the resources that are at our fingertips, but in his love and his grace. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your love and we thank you for this story of the prodigal that gives us a picture of who you are as a father. You're not, um, you don't cut us out of your life. You don't remove us from the inheritance. Even if we stray, even if we wander, even if we go our own way, even if we squander what you've given us, Father, you're still there to bless us abundantly to put a fine robe on us and 
a ring on our finger and throw in a feast for us. Father, we thank you for your grace in our lives. You have blessed us in so many ways. And so we give back to you, Father, out of the gratitude in our hearts. Help us to be cheerful givers, Father, today as we give, for it to be a blessing to us as we give to your church and give to your kingdom. We praise you and we thank you for your love. In Jesus' name, amen. Over the last three weeks, we've been on this journey, uh, finding your way back to God. Um, It is all um, based on um, the story Kevin read earlier, the story of a lost son, the story of the prodigal son. Um, Each week, um, we've looked at a different awakening, what we call an awakening. And each week, there will be um, an awakening. We, we talk about five awakenings um, total. We've looked, first of all, uh, at an awakening to longing. An awakening to longing. That longing in our life that there's got to be more um, does not have to be a bad thing. Our longing for love, our longing for purpose, our longing for meaning, there's got to be more, can either draw us to God or it can draw us to choose things in place of God like the prodigal did and our lives end very, very far from him. The good news is um, you can find your way back to God. The second week, we talked about this awakening to regret. Um, We're often in this sorry cycle. I'm sorry for what I did. And so there is sorry, and then there's regret. I am sorry, and I regret. Back and forth, the cycle goes. We find ourselves doing things we never thought we had done. We find ourselves in places we never thought we would end up and we regret the fact deeply. Last week, Kevin taught about an awakening to help. An awakening to help. The realization that we are powerless, powerless, You know, AA and NA, um, different help groups. One of the key steps is to acknowledge you're powerless. You need help. You can't do this on your own. The son realized that he had hit bottom, that he needed help, and he returned to his father. He's willing to be a slave, he's willing to be a servant. All he knew was he needed help. Today, we're going to talk about an awakening to love. God loves you. God loves me. Regardless of where we've been or what we've done, God wants us to find our identity in him. I'm a creation of God. 
I'm not assigned print and you're not assigned print. There's no one on this earth just like you. God created you with a purpose in mind. He loves you and longs for you to awaken to love. His love. Unfortunately, our identity in Jesus Christ gets stolen. It gets stolen. We forget who God created us to be. We forget that God's love is unconditional. We, we start living like God's love has to be earned. We stop living in the security that God's love provides. We lose our identity. Some of you have lost uh, identity. <laughs> Some of you have had your identity stolen your financial identity, your social security identity, maybe your title, that's the latest thing that we hear talking about, your, your, the title on your home, stolen. One out of 13 Americans this year, this year will experience this tragedy. If you've been through it, you know it's a tragedy. It's painful. That's three times, three times the percentage that the world experiences this stolen identity. In America, 33% of people, 33%, one out of three, have experienced this difficulty. It's crazy. I've been fortunate, I've not had to go through this pain. Some of you have, I've known about it. It's odd that two of the people I've witnessed go through this were either about to leave or just got back from mission trips in Africa. It's a mess. Kevin was one of those individuals and I'd like him just to talk about his experience for a moment. Uh, yeah, so... Um... I think it was 2014, roughly, we, uh, we had planned a trip to Kenya, and the team was getting together, and they had just started in Kenya the ability to apply for your visas in advance online, and it was a legit <coughs> site, and uh, the whole process of purchasing your visa in the, Kenyan air in the Nairobi airport is a little... Um, Different, And so this felt like a, actually a more secure way to do it. And so uh, a couple of us on the trip did it and we didn't have any issues. Um, actually, one person who was on the trip there in the middle of the trip had their identity stolen while they were there and their bank accounts were being drained while she was in Nairobi. And so I guess we were sort of on alert about this, but nothing had happened to anybody else. And when we got back, um, about a week later, I got a phone call from Bank of America. And the reason I know that is because it showed up on my phone. It said, Bank of America. And this guy said, hey, I'm so-and-so from Bank of America, and we've had uh, just a flag on your account. We believe there's been some fraudulent activity, and we want to go through your, your purchases that you've made in the last day to make sure they're legit. Went, okay, well, I hadn't made any purchases that day, so I called Paige over and put it on speakerphone. 
And so he starts going down the list of our purchases that we had made. She goes, yeah, I made that one. Okay, that one was Target. Okay, that one was Target. That one was Target. That was, (laughs) she likes Target. (laughs) So she goes down like 10 or uh, 12 or 15, I don't know, of our, our purchases and we go, yeah, okay, well, what do we do? And he goes, well, okay, this is what we need. We just need your four-digit pin to freeze your account uh, and make sure that it's safe so, so nobody can, can get to it. And yeah, spidey sense sort of went up and I looked at her and she looked at me and we said, no. And I said, you know what? We'd rather do that in person at the bank tomorrow. And he goes, no, you, you, sir, you need to do this now because somebody has breached your account and, and things could get much worse unless you give us this four-digit account. We said, no, 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 we, we really, we, we feel best, we feel most comfortable if we were to go in and do that in the morning. Well, sir, you are making a big mistake. He started to get upset with us and started to really kind of, you know, get intense. We finally said, you know what? No, this is, we don't feel good about this. We're not gonna give you our four-digit account. He hangs up the phone. So we look at each other like, what just happened? We immediately call Bank of America and Bank of America says, nobody from here called you. And what that guy was trying to do, they have your account information and all he needed was that PIN number to get everything. And so we ended up having to close those accounts down completely. We called the three credit bureaus, told them about it. Apparently, our our information was sold on the dark web, and so it's still floating out there. And um, they said, you're just gonna have to monitor it because at any moment in time, somebody might get it and drain your account. And so it was an ordeal over months and months, and we're still dealing with the repercussions of it every once in a while. Something will happen that we have to, we have LifeLock now, and and we get alerts every single time. So it was was, uh, a long ordeal to get back up and running again and secure, so. I saw your face many times during that encounter and that journey. I mean, it was scary. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, because we didn't know what was gonna happen, especially because we, because this other person on the trip had their accounts basically cleaned out, and we didn't know if that was gonna happen to us or not. Crazy, isn't it? I mean, it's scary, uh, and it's crazy. Identity theft is real. You know, we have before us this epic story of the prodigal son. He's been received by his father. His father ran to him. His father was looking for him. His father was waiting for him to return. His father embraced him. I'm sure his father kissed him, bombarded with kisses. And yet the prodigal son's past had stolen his real identity. You remember he had a rehearsed speech that he was going to say to his father. And even after this encounter with his father, this incredible encounter, he launches into his speech. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. Key word, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. 
I am no longer worthy to be called your son. You know, I've thought about this story many times and and way back early in the story, we said that repentance is a change of thinking that results in action. And so technically, the prodigal repented, changed the direction of his life by God's grace when he came to his senses and said, my father's servants are better off than I am. Remember he wanted to eat the pig slop? He turned and he returned to his father. But you see, his past actions robbed him of his real identity. I just, was he still the son of this father regardless of what he had done? Was he? Regardless. He has a gracious father that didn't hold against him the fact that he wanted all his inheritance that for all practical purposes, uh, he was telling us, I wish you'd just die soon because I want my inheritance. But his father was looking and longing for his son to return. Son, I'm no longer worthy. That phrase, I'm no longer worthy, equals shame, shame. Few statements about shame. Shame will keep me from embracing my true identity. Shame, my past, will keep me and you from embracing my true identity. The shadow of shame is real. The sense that you're not worthy to be called God's son or daughter is real. You're not called God's son or daughter based on your performance. You're called God's son or daughter based on God's grace. By grace, through faith, we enter a relationship with God. How dare we say that Christ's sacrifice is not enough? You hear me? One of the most meaningful experiences in ministry for me was working in a drug treatment center. I was pastoring a church But once a week, I would go teach in a drug treatment center. And what I realized, and and by the way, it was a two-year drug treatment facility, very unique. Usually, the individual's presence there was court-ordered. So they were at the end of their rope. Go to prison or go to this treatment center. The majority of them did not finish the program. In fact, the majority of them were gone after year one. And so a requirement, and I handpicked my group, I had that privilege, had a good relationship with the director. One of my requirements was that you had to be in the program at least one year. Because people would be in the program over one year, um, they were serious about their recovery. 
Unfortunately, I saw many of them leave the program a few months early. I saw them because the second year was when they went back into the workforce. First year is just treatment recovery. Second year, go back into the workforce. And even though it was not a Christian program, I had the privilege to teaching uh, men and women about God's unconditional love. But you know what almost every, I'm going to say every person in the program battled? Shame. Shame. And if they didn't stay clean, they felt this, I'm unworthy of God's love. I don't deserve God's love. Well, technically you could say you don't, but what would happen is every time one of these individuals faltered and fell on their face, they no longer felt loved. They felt like a failure. I've blown it. You see, shame speaks to us. Shame lies to us. You think you're something special? Who do you think you are calling yourself a child of God? God's family? You're, you're messing up God's, look at this mess. Say, Dale, are you being a little dramatic? Not at all. Not at all. The people who actually recovered at much higher percentages were people who found their identity in Jesus Christ not in their success in recovery. Because when they fell on their face, they got back up and knew that their worth was not in their success or failure, but in Jesus Christ, their Savior. They knew their heavenly father loved them unconditionally. Shame will keep me from embracing my true identity. You see, shame is connected with our past actions, stupid actions, bad choices, ruined families, I could go on, couldn't I? Outburst of anger. But shame is not always brought about by your actions. Many people bear shame because of things that were done to them that God never intended. And they blame themselves for what happened to them. Maybe you know what I'm talking about. Self-induced and others-induced shame. It's shame nonetheless. Shame is real and will rob you of your identity in Christ if you allow it. I want you to hear a story right now. Um, this story is um, very honest, very blunt, and I've lost it. Um, I'm not telling you the story. 
video clip is telling you the story. Let's just focus our attention on the screen. I went to church and um, I went because I was, we were supposed to, and so I did. It wasn't every Sunday. It was when I felt I needed him. Did the teenager things, dabbled in alcohol and, 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 and drugs, and I don't know what I was looking for, um, but I wasn't finding it. And some of those um, choices that I made as a, as a teenager you know, just fill me with regret. Um, I wish they weren't in my story. I wish I could just start over. I ended up in a relationship, and, um, and I was pregnant. having an abortion at 19 and that was really hard I didn't want God to be there seeing what I was going through seeing what I was doing so in my head I just didn't I you know my prayers were that he wasn't he wasn't looking at me he wasn't listening or watching over me when I was 20 I ended up getting pregnant again and um, carried my daughter to term and I became a mom um, shortly after that she was about a year old um, I started going back to work, and I met um, I met my uh, my soon-to-be husband, and I felt like that was my second chance that God put him in my path for me to, to help guide me. We would go to church, um, and we would go consistently for a while, and then things were good, so he wasn't as needed in our head. But so obviously we weren't going about it the right way. We weren't having the relationship. We did our best. We tried it as best as we could. But when we finally had the opportunity to move to Illinois, um, my, at that time, my freshman had said, okay, but we have to go to church every weekend. We agreed, and I researched some churches, found one that I, that I thought the whole family would like. You know, knowing that we had the best intentions, we were still having a hard time um, with uh, working things out. We were a blended family. This one particular Sunday that we both remember, we were having a very bad week. Um, and it had gotten to the point where I was ready to move back home with my girls. And I was done, I was ready to throw in the towel. And the pastor came to the, um, the stage and was talking about, there has to be some people in the audience that, um, that are having a hard time, that are ready to be done with it, marriages. And we looked at each other and it was just, it just seemed like he was speaking directly to us. My husband grabbed my hand and um, he said, you know, we're not done. We're still, we're still working this through. You know, God moved us here for a reason. We both made the decision to, to really try and bring that relationship um, into the family, to bring our girls, um, you know, for, to make sure that they all went to Stuco, went to services every Sunday, um, that we went into a small group. It was new to us. It was it was different and um, a little awkward in the beginning, um, but just because I knew my story and um, that bothered me. It plagued me, and I wouldn't talk about it with my husband. So it was one of those things that kept in the dark. That was my burden to, to carry, my cross to bear. And I was in that jail cell with the doors wide open and sitting there punishing myself, even though I'd already been forgiven. He was there and he was holding my hand. And so, um, and so now I know 
And so when I have those days, it's not, it's not the same. And even with him knowing what I've done, I am forgiven and I'm still his daughter. Amen. You can clap for Rosemary. Her story is incredible. I guess clap for God. Shame can destroy us if we let it. It will rob us of our identity. Um, We have a choice. We can embrace grace or we can uh, allow shame, this cloud of shame to follow us uh, the rest of our life. Second principle, grace has the power to erase and replace, to erase and replace shame in my life. I want you to get the imagery um, of this story, the imagery, the picture um, that Luke is painting for us, that Jesus is painting for us. Um, By the way, um, we're all prodigals if you haven't figured it out. Uh, We've all chosen our way over God's way. We've all been embarrassed by something we've said or done sometime. Maybe you understand shame. Maybe you understand shame and the two sources of shame all too well. But I'm telling you, grace can erase and replace shame in my life and in your life. Look at what the father does. Look at what happens next. We've heard the son um, say to the father, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you, I'm no longer worthy. I'm no longer worthy. My past disqualifies me from being your son. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. You see, the father does not respond to the son's desire to be a slave or a servant in his house. The father is communicating clearly to his son, you are my son. Your identity is secure. You have been, are, and will be forever a son in my family. He tells the servant, run, bring a robe. But not just any robe, bring the best robe to wrap around my son. Bring the best robe. Most likely that's the father's robe. Bring the best robe to wrap around my son. I love this picture of this robe. It's a picture of rest. 
It's a picture of the end of striving, the end of doing, the end of performing to be a son or daughter of the father. Put a ring on his hand. The ring is a symbol of security. A signet ring, a ring like Joseph. The Pharaoh gave Joseph a ring to wear on his hand. He was second in authority in all of Egypt. A ring often would be pressed, pressed on a wax seal. And that seal, that symbol carried the authority of the leader of that family. Put a ring on his finger and put sandals on his feet. It's a very simple symbol. It's a symbol of final emphasis placed on acceptance. You're not a slave. Slaves often, more often than normal, went barefoot. I'm almost positive that this son who had worked in this hog pen who had no money, no means, is coming home barefoot. He looked like a slave. But the father says, put sandals on his feet. He's accepted. He's mine. Now, guys, this is one story of acceptance, of redemption, of a lost son being found. We hear about a lost sheep being found. We hear about a lost coin being found. The, the, probably the better known of all three stories is the lost son. He's found by the father. He returns. Hopefully there was a true awakening to his identity as a son, as a son of the father. Hopefully we are awakening as children of God to our identity that's secure, that is fixed, that's not based on performance but position as an adopted child of God. Jesus went through temptation in the wilderness the enemy directly attacked Jesus in the wilderness. It's called the temptation of Christ. Tempted. Over and over again, Jesus battles the enemy. Anyone want to tell me how? Scripture. Scripture. Over and over. And even the enemy would misquote Scripture and Jesus would challenge him with what he's saying. I have some simple scriptures for you. A war is being waged against your identity. You are rendered ineffective as a follower of Jesus Christ when your identity is uncertain, when the shadow of shame follows you everywhere you go. You can't be an ambassador for Christ you can't be a representative of Jesus when your own identity as a son or daughter of God 
is cracked. You feel it's tarnished. You feel insecure. Our security is in Jesus. Listen to these scriptures. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. The old has done what? It's gone. The new has come. A new creation. When we cross that line of faith, when we drive down that stake, when we embrace by grace through faith Jesus Christ, we are secure in that relationship as a child of God. Here's a second passage. Ephesians, Ephesians chapter one, verse seven. And again, I'm giving you simple passages. In him, we have redemption through his blood. Through what? Nothing is more powerful than the blood of Jesus. Nothing. Nothing. It doesn't matter what you've done or where you've been. There's people in this place today who've committed murder. I know that for a fact. Nothing you've ever done, nowhere you've ever been, causes you to forfeit God's love. The blood of Christ is more powerful. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. You know, many times we have a greater problem with someone being forgiven of their terrible sin than God does. You see, God doesn't have a problem forgiving you. He has a problem with your sin, but he's provided a way for you to have a relationship with him and not to be too blunt, but it is through the blood of his son. That is where forgiveness is guaranteed. Romans 8.1. I've quoted Romans 8.1 to myself, possibly more than any other passage. Proverbs 3, 5 through 7, Romans 8, 1, both. Both probably are the um, top scriptures. Um, also, 2 Corinthians 5, 19, you've heard me quote that a lot. He who knew no sin became sin so that we through him might become the righteousness of God. But Romans 8, 1, there is Therefore now, I've learned it in a different translation. I got a peek. There is therefore now no what? No condemnation. No one standing pointing a finger at you. And if they are, write it off. Write it off. I guarantee there is someone pointing a finger at you and it's your enemy because you are in a battle 
There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, who have a relationship with God through Christ Jesus. Why do I say I've quoted the scripture so many times? Because shame has followed me at times in my life. Because I've regretted some of the things I've done in my life. I've regretted some of the things I've said or how I've reacted at times in my life. And you see, I can live with those voices of shame in my head. How do you think you're a child of God if you did that? I guarantee Rosemary had some voices. And grace... Grace will squash shame if we choose grace. It will erase and replace. There is therefore now how much condemnation? And I don't want to be elementary today, but I'm telling you, you can remember this verse. You can quote this verse to yourself when you're questioning your identity as a son or daughter of God. Another verse. Romans 8. Romans 8. Verse I know some of you have performance roots and it's hard for you to just say, I'm accepted by grace. Regardless of what I've done or where I've been, I'm accepted, totally accepted as a child of God. Paul spoke to you, by the way, he spoke to me. Even though we're saved by grace, even though there's now no more condemnation, Paul said, should we sin that grace will abound, that it will flow freely? He said, God forbid. Just because forgiveness is ours, forgiveness is real, doesn't mean we just live however we want to according to our will, not God's will. No, there is a want to in us. That's what makes shame so real so often. But listen to this. For I am sure, Paul says, that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. There's nothing you will ever do, nothing to cause God to love you anymore. And there's nothing you will ever do to cause God to love you any less. His love is perfect. 
And until your identity is based on the foundation of God's unconditional love, your identity will just swing like a pendulum. I am, I'm not. I feel like I'm a child of God. I don't feel like I'm a child of God. Listen to Henry Nouwen. He says we have to push back on anything that causes us to question our identity. Everything you feel hurt, offended, or rejected, you have to dare to say to yourself, these feelings, strong as they may be, hey, our feelings are strong. Our feelings of shame, our feelings of condemnation, our feelings of regret are real. But they are not telling me now and says the truth about myself. The truth, even though I cannot feel it right now, is that I am the chosen child of God, precious in God's eyes, called the beloved from all eternity and held safe in an everlasting belief. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Do not allow your feelings to deceive you and rob your identity. Let's look at the end of the story. It's pretty awesome. There is another part of the story that uh, Kevin will be looking at next week, but for today, um, let's look at the end of our story. Again, we know the father says, quickly, bring the best robe, put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. Let's celebrate, let's have a party. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Dead, alive. Lost, found. A drastic analogy. A drastic shift. This isn't just kind of doing bad and now I'm kind of doing good. No, I was dead and now I'm alive. There's a celebration we take part in that paints that picture. It's called baptism, right? Baptism. Baptism, buried with Christ in baptism. We bury dead things. Buried with Christ in baptism, raised to walk in newness of life. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. We were choosing our way over God's way. We recognize the fact we were going in the wrong direction. We confessed our need for God. We die and we're raised to live a different life. Our identity once and for all is transformed. And we live under God's grace. Next time we baptize, I can guarantee one thing's going to happen. Now, there might be a whole lot of things happen up there. I've witnessed all kind of things. That was funny. Um, 
But one thing I can guarantee, there'll be a loud outburst of clapping. And there'll be a few whistles. I've never heard whistling in church until here. I mean, it's good whistling too, right? Why? Because we're celebrating someone who was dead and now is alive, someone who was lost and now is found. That's worth celebrating. Father, I thank you for each person in this room. There is no doubt in my mind you are speaking to individuals' hearts and they're hearing you say, come home, come home, come home. Father, you have taught us, you've communicated to us over the last weeks that you love us. You run to us. You don't want us to live in shame. You want us to live under grace. You want us to experience forgiveness. You want us to know what it means to be your sons and your daughters to have our identity secure in your love and your love alone. Father, we thank you for this. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to ask those serving communion to come forward at this time. Often communion is a somber time Kevin reminded us several months ago that yes, it is a time where we examine our hearts, but it is a time to celebrate God's grace. Celebrate. I tell you, the message today that we've seen in God's Word, it's a message to celebrate. I hope as you come today, you will say to the Father, Father, thank you for your incredible love. Father, thank you for letting me know I am loved. Maybe you're here today and, and you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you've been on that pendulum just swinging back and forth. You have never had your identity in Christ nailed down and you are relieved to hear that you can never earn a relationship with God, but it is his gift to you when you come to him and place your faith in his son, Jesus. Prayer partners will be here. They'd love to pray with you. Um, I would love uh, to meet with you either today or sometime in the near future, our staff, our elders, some of your friends here. There is no greater moment when someone crosses over from death to life. No greater moment. Won't you come and celebrate God's grace? 
I'm gonna ask all those who have just come through our membership class and who are coming to be part of our family of faith to come forward at this time. I told Chris he was going to preach earlier, and now he thinks I'm serious. Um, what I'm going to do, y'all come together a little bit there. All right. Again, welcome them. I'm going to pass the mic just down the line, and if you would, introduce yourself. And um, Stephen, introduce your whole family, even though you're uh, by yourself today. Chris? My name is Chris Jones. Stephen Kelly, my wife Isabel, uh, son Willis, and Flora, and Claire as well. They're all uh, in the nursery or not here right now. I'm Jean King. My son Stephen on the drums. Uh, <laughs> and Danielle, our granddaughter, my granddaughter's Reagan, uh, and Danielle, my daughter-in-law, and they're with the kids. My name is Ruth Suda. Mandy Hunt. I'm Caesar Palmas. I'm Adam Sinecon. This is my wife Susan. What an amazing group. We are so next to baptism. I think this is as good a celebration as we're gonna have, right? Y'all famous. Whatever you want to, Kevin. You Whatever. only hear to. that a few times. Hey, you know what? Let's do this. Let's do this. Let's hold hands across the aisles. Can we do that? All right. Get comfy with one another. <laughs> All right. Across the aisle. Yeah. Can we? Can we join it? There we go. There we go. And. If you're a believer in Christ, just say this with me. I believe. I believe. That Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the Christ. The Son of the living God. The Son of the living God. And my personal Lord and Savior. My personal Lord and Savior. Amen. God, we give you Amen. thanks. Yeah, let's give him applause. Father, we give you thanks for who you are. Send us out as lights into the world. We praise your name in Jesus' name. Amen.